Hey everybody, it's Lance, and welcome back to another installment of Pastor's Bible Study. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. You can jump in with us right here, chapter 10, verse 32. You can go all the way back to the beginning or catch up anywhere else you like. All right, let's pick up the story in chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus and his disciples were on the road, going up to Jerusalem with Jesus in the lead. The disciples were amazed, while the others following behind were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he told them what was about to happen to him. Look, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The human one, or sometimes translated the son of man, will be handed over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. After three days, he will rise up. Okay, so if you've been reading through us, uh, with us through the entire Gospel of Mark, you'll realize this isn't the first time that Jesus has stopped his disciples and told them, look, this is what's going to happen. I want to point out that this is something he has to continue to do over and over and over again because they can't understand how this could be possible. Look at you. Look at how incredible you are. Look at the crowds that follow you. Look at the obvious power that you have. No way. This couldn't be how everything ends for you. And so he's trying to explain it over and over again. A really small detail in this scripture that I think is really powerful is the description of what it's like when they're on the road. They're headed to Jerusalem. That's where this culminates. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows this is going to lead to torture. He knows it's going to lead to humiliation. Him being turned over to the Roman authorities. That's what it means when it says Gentiles. That he's going to be crucified and die a horrible and painful death. And he's not resisting it. In fact, he's in the lead when it comes to the people that he's leading. He's actually in the front of the group. He's not going there reluctantly. He's going there, I think, somberly, knowing that this is what's required of him, that it's through this death and it's through this cross and ultimately through the resurrection that people will be reconciled and restored to God. It's doing the hard thing because it's the right thing and sometimes the only way. That's one of the things I want to lift up as our point of reflection today. So, one of the things that is really true, the more that you read scripture and live a life led by faith and fidelity to Christ, you're going to recognize that doing the right thing over and over and over again is often the hard thing. It's very seldom the easy path. Doing the right thing is very seldom the path that gets you the most applause or the most appreciation. It can often be gut-wrenching, painful, and even involve the death of things like relationships or opportunities or connections. I just want to lift that up for you as your point of reflection. As you're watching right now, maybe either you're by yourself or with other folks or just listening on a podcast while you're on a walk, stop and think, where have you seen someone do the right thing? And it was the right thing, but it cost them a ton. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? And what kind of faith would they or you need to have in place to actually do that right thing when the moment comes? Because it will. All right. That's a real point of reflection. But in the midst of this conversation in the text, it goes on and Jesus has another important conversation. Let's continue there in verse 35. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive. But to sit at my right or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. 
Okay, so just wanna do a quick pause right here because this is a really odd interaction. So think about what's happening here. James and John, Zebedee's sons, are some of Jesus' disciples. And along with Peter, they've kind of formed an inner circle. They're some of the people who are most directly spending time with Jesus and hearing the most from him. They have a really close relationship would be a way to describe it. And James and John just ask, hey, well, if this is ultimately leading to your kingdom and the other side of what happens in death, well, we want a pride of place there. And an important thing to remember there, a key concept of their society is honor and recognition. That's a really big deal. Honor and recognition is a huge part of what brings their society together and what drives people's motivations and ambitions. And so what they're doing here is they're capitulating to those values of the culture around them. Does that make sense? They're trying to live into the values of the culture. An equivalent today might be Christians who are really motivated to get huge likes on social media, right? Or things along those lines. They're following the values of the culture around them. And one of their values is big time recognition. And so that's what they ask for. And to do so is to fundamentally misunderstand what following Jesus is all about. It just is. They take a big swing and a big miss here. They don't understand Jesus. But it's really interesting to see what Jesus does in response. Imagine how you would respond, right? Time is running out. He is headed to Jerusalem. And some of the people that he's trusting to take his teachings, to take his presence and teach to the world and make disciples and establish his church, some of the people that he's trusting to really get it obviously don't. He could be angry. He could be upset. He could be humiliated. Think about how a reasonable person might respond in that situation, right? Call them out on the carpet or, or maybe just ignore them because you're so disappointed. Well, frequently when Jesus is confronted like this, he chooses another way. The way that I've heard it described that I really appreciate is that some people like to just, in the event of misunderstanding or difficulty or differences, they get into call out mode, right? You're wrong. You messed up. That's incorrect, etc. They call people out on the carpet. I think some Christians do this all the time, thinking that's the most helpful way to treat people. Other people want to avoid conflict, so they just hang out, right? Okay, it's fine. You don't get it, but it's all right. Maybe, yes, I'll do this for you. I don't want to push the boat. I don't want to upset the boat. I don't want to push buttons or anything along those lines. And people just hang out instead of speaking the truth in love. Some people just check out, ignore it completely. But instead of calling out or hanging out, Jesus says something called calling people in. And if you have eyes to see this when you read scripture, you see it happening over and over and over again. He calls people in to a deeper understanding of what the kingdom is all about. So instead of just fussing at them or shaming them for not getting them, he calls them in to what he would have them be. This is going to happen, but it's not mine to give. So we're going to explain what he calls them into before, but I want to pause right there. What's the difference between calling someone out, right? Shaming their behavior. No, that's the wrong thing, etc. And instead calling people in. Actually, this is what I would like to see from you. Actually, this is the good life that you've been made for. Actually, this is a way for us to live in healthy relationship together. What's the difference on being called out versus being called into something better? And have you ever experienced that? And can you imagine a situation where you could put that into practice today? Okay, so what is Jesus calling them in to? He's not just calling them out and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you completely messed this up. Instead, he's calling them in. Well, what's he calling them into? And that's where he goes on here. Now, when the other 10 disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. That's understandable. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. 
Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one, or the son of man, didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. Okay, so one of the things that Jesus is pointing out is to what the world sees as greatness and what he sees as greatness. What the world sees as greatness is bossing people around, right? Having power and authority over other people and being in charge and having the most resources at your disposal and your command. That's what the world calls great. Here's what I call great, Jesus says. The person who's focusing on serving those around them. The person who's a slave or a servant to all people, right? And what he means by that is doesn't just follow one person or serve one person or be coordinated to one person's needs, but instead is focused on everyone's well-being. That's what greatness is in Jesus's eyes. Not having the most resources at command, not having authority over other people, etc. In fact, it's the opposite. It's thinking about how can I serve other people? How can I put my energy, my time, my spirit, my love to the well-being of others? I was core level. That's what it means to be following Jesus every day. So I want to stop right there. That's so key to the Christian message, right? And yet how easy is it for us to lose it, to focus on details that are so far less important that at the end of the day, it's not just about liking other people or being kind to other people, but genuinely giving what we have, time, energy, resources, spirit for the well-being of others. That's what living in the kingdom is like. That's what Jesus calls great. How do we lose that? And how do we get it back? Friends, I've enjoyed getting to go through this portion of Mark's gospel with you. I can't wait to pick it up when we gather together again. God bless, and I'll see you soon.